Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash from a feminist perspective. I'm Katie Winton. And I'm Isabel Hawthorpe. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on and pay our respects to their elders. We also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and we'd like to honour that history. It's been a big week for us, which we say most weeks. Um, I realise that we, yeah, we do say <laughs> Every week. Every but week. I do think that we, we pack a lot in and, and a lot happens over a, a space of time yep. of a week. Um, and it hasn't it really hasn't been long since we were on your radio last. Uh, the lovely Tommy Codling gave up his regular Thursday Arvo slot this week for us to do a special International Women's Day takeover. So you can listen back to that online. Just click on Thursday Arvo's. Yeah, and we had so much to cover in the three hours um, on Thursday. Thanks to Katie's programming, <laughs> we packed in quite a few interviews. Uh, but we didn't get to tell you everything. So in case you missed it, Energy Australia literally closed their gender gap um, overnight. Spotify and Smirnoff brought out the Equalizer to analyse the Spotify users' gendered listening habits. And a new published book claimed to detail a graphic history of um, black women in Australian music uh, and it's been pulled from the shelves after it was slammed for inaccuracies and for being culturally insensitive by the women profiled. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, more on that uh, later. But speaking of books coming up on the show today, we're chatting to Catriona Moore and Jacqueline Milner about a book that they co-edited called Feminist Perspectives on Art, which is an anthology of essays that are indebted to feminist theory, practice, activism and methodology. Um, so really excited for that conversation. Yeah, and on Thursday we also announced our partnership with Music New South Wales. All of the tracks on Agenda today have been curated by Music New South Wales to showcase their women in electronic music programs. So uh, you won't be hearing so much of Liam <laughs> Katie's selection. Maybe a little less Missy Elliott, which yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm a little bit sad about. We'll, we'll sneak a few in every now and again, but um, it's going to be... But Music New South Wales are amazing and the Women in Electronic Music program is really incredible every year and Definitely. has like a bunch of masterclasses, showcase um, and workshops and is they're generally making huge strides to um, talk about representation of women in electronic music. Um, and I've also decided that every day should be International Women's Day. Uh, one, because there's never enough conversation about the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy that we live in uh, and the effects that it has on women, female identifying and gender diverse people. But two, because I love love song dedications <laughs> and I've been on a bit of a love for women and femmes and gender diverse people uh, high because... You know, I'm not, it's not like I'm not doing that every day. Um, so let's keep the love going and please text us if you have a song that you'd like to dedicate to a woman or female identifying or gender diverse person in your life. 0409 945 945. Right now, though, this is Bad Gal with Internationally. How was that? <laughs> that was good. This doesn't have any numbers yeah, in it, so true. I would get confused. Uh, so it's featuring Jam City and Double Dutch. Taken from her recent mixtape released a few weeks ago, Worldwide Angel. This is Bad Gal. Todo está soldado, hemos visitado 11 países, todo lo llenado, hemos estado por todos los lados, todo bien cobrado, cada fin de no vamos por ahí, y está pagado, y está pagado, me miran 
grabada que me voy a grabar Y en un par de horas ya tengo lo que se va a pegar Do it really fast, do it, do it really fast Me miran por detrás, estoy rica, tú lo estás Tengo todo, tengo alcohol, buena vida, mucho work Tengo todo, tengo alcohol, buena vida, buena vida Tengo alcohol, buena vida Cada fin de un bolo, no vamos pa' Leipor Yo vivo en hoteles, no vamos pa' London Estos van diciendo que he tirado del money Yo grabo en mi casa, sueno internacionally Internacionally, internacionally, internacionally Internacionally, internacionally, internacionally Internacionally You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and in big news from the last week, Energy Australia literally closed their gender pay gap overnight on the eve of International Women's Day. So the company is spending, or I guess it's spent now, $1.2 million um, dollars to boost <laughs> the pay packets of 350 women who were getting less than their male counterparts. And they also promised to have a review in five years to ensure that men have not negotiated their way back on top. Yeah. Sneaky men. <laughs> it's huge news. Yeah. yeah. So official figures put the pay gap at 17.3% for base salary in Australia. But when bonuses, shift loading and other extras are included, it actually grows to 22.4% um, or an average of $26,500 a year. What's worse, though, is the pay gap according to race. So in America, while the male-female pay gap has been slowly decreasing, uh, the pay gap between white women and black women is the fastest-growing income inequality that there is, uh, according to a report by the Economic Policy Institute. So in 1979, black women earned only 6% less than white women. Today, black women earn 19% less than white women, according to the report. So at the beginning of the 1980s, black women with a college degree or higher and white women with a college degree or higher earned roughly the same wage. But today, wages from black women with a college degree or higher are 12.3% less than those of their white counterparts. So that's double the disparity experienced by black women with only a high school degree, the report found. So Google, unfortunately, didn't yield any statistics on the gender pay gap according to race in Australia, but it's definitely something that organisations should also take into consideration. Yeah, and another thing that happened this week um, is... Uh, it's so bad. A book <laughs> called Deadly Woman Blues, which, wait for it, was written by a white man called Clinton Walker, has been pulled from Australian bookstores due to the complete lack of consultation with the musicians that it claimed to represent in an encyclopedic fashion. Yeah. Um, and also, like, the publishing house is like, we are pulping this. Like, no one will ever read this. 
Which is fair enough. Absolutely. It was it was written by Clinton Walker and published by New South Books. Um, and it's a compilation of short biographies and images of black females involved in Australian music, from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women to overseas influences like Marsha Hines. And the book claims to tell their, in quotation marks, forgotten history to rebirth the stories of black female musicians. But four of the women featured in the book told the news that rather than empowering, the book is surprisingly offensive and exploitative. So someone who has done no consultation in these communities has also decided that these people have been forgotten. Yeah. So it's kind of like if I haven't written a book about it in a niche publishing yeah. press, then it's been forgotten. So not only did he not consult the women on um, personal details like their birthplaces and their personal histories, he also got a lot of these details wrong. And the implications of the mistakes uh, the mistakes of this kind of nature are re-traumatising. So soprano Deborah Cheatham uh, said that Walker only needed to have looked up on Wikipedia to know that she was born in New South Wales and uh, Nowra and not in um, Kurmuganja Mission, as he claimed. So the statement is p- particularly distressing, Cheatham says, as it denies the experience of my mother, Monica, who gave birth to me in Nowra District Hospital, only to have me taken or taken from her three weeks later. So this is, like, incredibly horrible. Yeah. This, um, obviously, to be... Um, a part of the stolen generation and then to have your history misrepresented again by someone who you've never spoken to um, is awful. And so Marlene Cummins said it's partic- it's typical of our history, um, uh, like Walker's project was. We had our land stolen from us, our wages, our children, our art, and now our stories. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. Yeah, it's really, it's really just terrible journalism yeah. and hugely critically, like critically insensitive, culturally insensitive and pretty exploitative for him to profit off of their stories and their legacies, especially considering he was writing about women who are still alive and could have easily done an interview. No, no, Katie, he's helping them. <laughs> he's helping them to be remembered. They need him. Yeah. Um, so it p- poses this kind of saviour complex uh, in relation to white history. He claimed that these women were forgotten and that he was doing them a favour by writing them into history. So thank you, Clinton, for that. Um, but it's kind of weird to think about who exactly they were forgotten by, the kind of white mainstream canon of music journalism. And I don't know, I think that there are different ways of remembering people and so he's kind of just decided that it's through this like lens that they need to be remembered. Uh, but I think there's a bigger problem here too about how we remember according to gendered history. So we talk about this a lot on, we talked about it a lot on Thursday when we interviewed the organiser of the Wikipedia Editathon. Yeah, there's a complete lack of female representation in most areas of the arts. And we did talk to Denise O'Day about the Wikipedia Women in Wikipedia Editathon that is happening at Sydney Uni um, in a few weeks. Um, and I guess the music industry is kind of no exception to that representation hopefully this book being pulled from the shelves will start to open up a conversation not only about representation but who is um, telling these stories and who is a kind of consulting and why Um, and speaking of women in music have you seen this Spotify equalizer thing that analyzes your Spotify data from the last 10 or so years and gives you a percentage of how many women and gender diverse artists you've listened to compared to men have I have you seen it I've seen it yeah 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 and I what did you get I got 63%, which is, I was like a bit embarrassed about it. And I kind of was like, oh, let me just have, and I made sure heaps <laughs> people were looking and then I like flipped up 63% men and I was like, damn it. But actually that's pretty good. Like, I don't know, I don't know, personally, I don't know anyone else who got better than that. I got 95% men. Katie Witten. 
which is and like I I was I didn't believe it so I just went and did it again and like <laughs> logged in from Firefox and then did it from like Safari and then you know like logged into all these different web browsers because I was like oh no it must be wrong yeah but it wasn't wrong because I just want to reiterate that the statistic is based on when you first got Spotify up until now which like I think my my uh my listening tastes has definitely changed mm, in the last two mm. years, especially since we started doing Agenda. And I feel like I've come to my music tastes now and it actually makes me happy and I listen to people that I like rather than listening to, like, cool bands that, like, dudes told me to listen to when I was in my early 20s that I was kind of listening to because other people said it was cool. Like, I feel I, a lot more confident in my music choices yeah, now. Yeah, I am not so confident in my music to- choices. I didn't <laughs> used to think about it and then you started following me on Spotify and then you'd be like, <laughs> screenshot what I was looking at and send it to me and be like, oh. <laughs> you're so lame. So now I'm like... I never said you're so lame. You I was just like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to a lot of Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that I got 63% and I, and I think that is because, I mean, I listen to predominantly women now. So I feel like in earlier years, I must have listened to more, more men folk. Uh, but... I also listened to the Sharon Van Etten exclusively for like a year, yeah. so I feel like it kind of goes through. I feel through. like you had a you had a much more nuanced understanding of like uh, representation than I did oh, as I a mean, younger I person. I, doing it. I just don't. I just like listening to women musicians. Yeah. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's a personal, uh, personal taste. <laughs> text us with your percentage: oh four oh nine nine four five nine four five. Did you beat me? Yeah, did it's you beat Isabel? But <laughs> we also just got a text in from Sandra. She said, "What? Only three hundred and fifty women? That is the lamest thing I've ever heard, ever, ever." Um, <laughs> which is yeah, in Sandra. reference to the uh, to the Energy Australia pay packet. But like that was just in one company, Sandra. That's not across the board of. Uh, yeah, the but pay if you gap. think about how many people Energy Australia employs. Oh yeah, totally. It's it's still not a great number, but I think one I think a, a bigger amount of money over three hundred and fifty salaries mm. is better than like you know a two dollar raise mm-hmm. <laughs> for every single employee. Like a little at baby least, steps. At least it's a tiny baby step, Sandra. Uh, we're going to take a track now from Kira Peru. This one is called Tension, and it has been chosen by Music New South Wales as part of our new agenda partnership. When we come back, we'll uh, talk about our special edition of Thoughts That Count. Please text us 0409 945 945. What did you get on the Spotify equaliser uh, gendered kind of representation of your listening yeah, I choices? Know. I don't know how to, how to say it. Also, maybe a, a good question as well is what is your most embarrassing Music choice. What music. do you wish you could delete from your Spotify music history? Yeah, that's yeah. Text us 0409 945 945.
Imbi the Girl just there with Acidic. And before that, you heard Kira Peru with Tension, both of those tracks chosen by Music New South Wales as part of their music in women in electronic music program. We've been talking about the Spotify Equalizer, Smirnoff and Spotify Equalizer that shows you how many women and gender diverse people you listen to compared to men. And I was terribly impressed with myself by getting, I think, 63%, uh, only 63% male through my Spotify career. But Bella... Bella from Sydney has texted in. She got 52% women. She says, perhaps because my guilty pleasure is the Mamma Mia soundtrack. And then in brackets, she says, Meryl Streep is my queen with Meryl, lots of ease. Meryl Streep is our queen. <laughs> and actually, I, that reminded me that I think ABBA is my kind of... That's when I put my Spotify on private when I want to listen to <laughs> ABBA. And I was talking to my brother and he was like, yeah, when nobody's home, I just like turn off the house music and like switch it over to ABBA. I love it. It was like, I think it's from our childhood of like like family holidays and just cranking it. I was uh, at a dinner party last night and a friend was saying that she was doing a DJ set and she was trying to find like uh, cool hip hop, to mm. c- cool female hip hop were her words. And she was like, you know, I went on to my, um, a bunch of my friends' um, Spotify playlists to see what, they're, what they listen to. And she's like, I went on to yours and you have some hectic privacy settings. Yeah. Oh, I am such a creep though. Like I, so... I always go onto people's Spotify's to see what they're listening to. And then I, then I think one day I was like, hmm, I wonder what mine looks like. And was like, oh, yep. <laughs> Going to put that all on very, very private. I really like. Nobody needs to know that. I quite like the times when I'm listening to something and then it comes up and you're listening to the same yeah. song. <laughs> so Happened cute. a lot when we first got into Scissor, I think. Yeah, yeah. We listening was, to um, Drew Barrymore on repeat at the mm, same time. Mm, it's really nice. Definitely. Text us with your percentage. Can you beat Bella from C- not that it's a competition, but can you beat 52% women? 0409 945 945 is the number to text. And let us know of your embarrassing um, Spotify listening history and who you wish you could delete. Who do you wish you could delete? Well, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm okay with it. I think I've like reconciled uh, myself with my kind of really corny listening habits. Oh, probably not, actually. <laughs> nah. I mean, I, I put it out there into the universe. I'm just going to say, Abba, you can stay. You can stay. Abba can yeah, stay? Abba can stay. I mean, I think I wish I could delete Beck from my Spotify you listening history. Like yeah, I really got into <laughs> Morning Face, this album of years ago, and, mm. and I, like, spent a lot of time in hospital, and I just listened to that album on repeat. Oh, it was dark. pretty dark, actually. Mm. Yeah, but now it always comes up in my, like, Spotify most listened to, and I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beck, go away. Mm. Leave me alone. Actually, Beck played the other day at this new festival with Grace Jones headlined and Beck, and they put Grace Jones and Beck at the same time. Oh, right. Yeah, which was an interesting uh, That choice. was the one with, like... Was it Phoenix and yeah, yeah, yeah? It was very like I can't remember what it was called. Uh, something. Wait, we'll have a quick Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I, I had a few friends that went to it and was like, I am such an old person now. <laughs> it was called at, at Sydney City Limits. Yeah. Yep. There we go. Uh, text us with your what you wish you could delete from your Spotify listening history, 0409 945 945. I know what it is, Jason Derulo. Ah. Yeah. Okay. That needs to go. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've got something more embarrassing than Jason Derulo and Beck, please message us. Um, also stick around for our conversation with Jacqueline Milner and Katriona Moore up next about a book that they have co-edited that has just come out called Contemporary Outtakes. Uh 
We'll be talking to them right after this track that has also been programmed by Music New South Wales. It's called Kate and it's 2000 and something. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. And pass it while the lights are all still green. Look at myself and realize the world's eyes are all our phone screens. So caught up in the world around me. No tools stop caring how strangers view me. I was born in the wrong year, the wrong time. This now my destiny. So on. Where you at? 1962. It's been a minute since we kicked it. Heard you got the new tattoo. Had no friends, so I had to see with him. Now I can quit it. So I said, Where you at? 1962. It's been a minute since we kicked it. Heard you got the new tattoo. Had no friends, so I had this shit with him. Now I can quit it. Quit it, 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 quit it, 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 Understand that what is going on is bound to be All this hatred in the world I'm surprised the earth is still turning So caught up in the world around me Need to stop caring how strangers view me I was born in the wrong years, the wrong time This not my destiny Where you at? 1962, it's been a minute since we kicked it. Heard you got the new tattoo. Had no friends, so I had the shit with him. Now I can quit it. So I said, where you at? 1962, it's been a minute since we kicked it. Heard you got the new tattoo. Had no friends, so I had the shit with him. Now I can quit it, did it, did it, did Dream. 
Katrina Moore, the editors of Feminist Perspectives on Art, Contemporary Outtakes, which is a great new anthology of essays and a contribution to the resurgence of feminist thought methodology and action in contemporary art and creative practice research. So thank you very much for coming in this morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about in the show about uh, a book that is being pump, pulped as we speak, Deadly Women <laughs> Blues, um, that was written by Clinton Walker um, about the history of uh, black women in Australian music, uh, which has had to be withdrawn from sale with the publishers promising to pulp it. Uh, and never I like pulp as a, yeah, as, a, <laughs> it's very traumatic. as a recall word. Um, but it was following a backlash from several of the artists who feature in its pages. He didn't conduct any interviews. So we wanted to talk to... Um, you as accomplished editors and probably with a little bit of a better process. I mean, obviously mm. you're editing, you're not writing this book. That's but true, what was but that sounds like really lazy researching and that's kind of like research 101. Yeah. Basically, that's, that's you know, that's, that's bad practice. Mm. And <laughs> um, can you talk a yeah. little bit about your practice for um, in terms of compiling this anthology? Well, if you think of, okay, from a feminist perspective, that kind of approach to doing research just w- it continues like, oh, why don't I say centuries of negation of voices, um, perspectives, first person kind of like, and you know, um, agency mm. of, uh, of, the, of the people you're meant to be writing about or who should be writing for themselves and giving that kind of um, space and voice to, to, to have to say what they want to say. So that's not, yeah, as feminists, that's precisely our approach, and it was our approach, um, to compiling this anthology, and it's the, the, the approach that um, the contributors um, also have taken. So most of the contributors, in fact, are related in some way to the broader community of contemporary art and feminism, which was a research cluster that we co-founded mm-hmm. at the University of Sydney at the end of 2013, and... We programmed a number of things over the last few years there, and it was it was really about kind of a clarion call, I suppose, kind of like a lightning rod, if you like, for for various practitioners, artists, writers, theorists, curators, um, to 
to have a space, a safe space, I guess, where they could share their ideas about, you know, f- feminism and actually wear that uh, that badge with honour. Uh, yeah. And so a number of the writers actually that we put in this anthology uh, contributed to the various kind of events um, that uh, and conferences, exhibitions and so on that, that Contemporary Art and Feminism put out. And also some of them actually came th- partly through one, another editorial that I, role that I had at a journal where I, I, I looked at a number of, of um, contrib- contributions that didn't get enough traction in order to get published in that journal. And so I remember just being very struck by some of these works and thinking I'd really like to develop those together with the writer. And they had feminist, obviously, feminist uh, perspective and I and I thought that they would complement the the you know the CAF um, contributors really well. So, and I should also just add that you know the the other you know, set of criteria I guess we were looking at in that inclusion was that we wanted you know um, contributions that really thought in a really creative way about what it what it means to be a, a feminist, what it means to be a feminist art historian, an art critic, feminist artist, and we wanted to have a really good coverage also of um, of practice based research in dialogue with you know more traditional forms of art history and criticism as well as curating so and we're not necessarily talking about hybrid practices here which is a term that I don't I'm not particularly subscribe to but it's really more about multimodal and kind of being really self-reflective about you know the the way that you're operating in the world um, and and in a, in a sense carrying your values through to a whole range of different contexts. So the essays that are kind of or contributions that are compiled um, are they from artists and curators and people working across different fields or absolutely that's right and that's 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 the nice mix i think of this anthology and it's something which to us is really striking about not only um the state of contemporary art at the moment but also feminist art and activism and research it's being generated very much by this kind of really creative interplay between studio the academy of the traditional academic modes, as Jacqueline was saying, of art history and research, but also grassroots activist practice as well. And that's 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 what makes for a really exciting moment at the time. I think we're living in really exciting times uh, in terms of feminist practice. It's odd that, um, you know, um, Jacqueline was saying before about um, trying to promote um, feminist um, um a scholarship within straightforwardly boring academic spaces and how um, the the f word uh, was you know was was not you know, you know um, stigmatized stigmatized still, still yeah. in this mm. day and age mm. for goodness sake um mm. it's been a long time since we've kind of claimed that feminism as you know as Jacqueline said, you know, mm. a badge of pride, something to work on. Now's the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was interesting, as you said, uh, wearing it as a badge of pride. And mm-hmm. I think because you both have been working in this area um, and con- and this kind of concentrating on it, you would be well positioned to comment on where feminism sits in the kind of in within popular culture and within the university as well. Mm. Do you think it's ha- you, you do feel like it's having a resurgence or? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. I, I mean, clearly from from when we started out, of course, um, as as young, you know, artists, in Jacqueline's case, artists and, and art historians. In my case, it was it was pretty tough. I mean, as a as a 
as a student back in the 1970s, uh, my own um, you know resources as an undergraduate, we had these gigantic books about you know the history of art, of art history and art and civilization and so forth. I remember one woman artist in that entire textbook <coughs> was by Jansen, and that artist was actually Rosa Bonheur, <laughs> the 19th century, animal, yes, an animal, animal a good animal painter of painter, horses, yeah. 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 Uh, and that was, <laughs> that was the only artist in the goddamn book. Mm. I mean, crazy stuff. That We've, was Jansen's history. Of Jansen's art. history of art. It was the, it was yeah. the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really pathetic and really bad art history. Mm-hmm. So uh, our disciplines and our interdisciplinary practice have got has got much better since then. Of At course. the same time, I mean, one of the reasons why. I think we were we were driven to establish contemporary art and feminism, and we you know it's based at uh, at a particular university. I was in the art school, and and um, Kat was in the art history department. Is that I encountered a number of um, of students, both undergraduate and postgraduate, who'd been advised at that time, and we're talking 2013, by their you know their mentors and curators and you know their supervisors that really. T- don't don't fall into the feminist ghetto, you know. Just be very careful about how you position yourself because if you call yourself feminist or you say that you're out as feminist, no. Nah, it's actually going to do your career in, you know. You're limiting your options, so don't don't cast your work in that way. Mm. And I was so outraged. <laughs> but I felt instead of kind of I tried to channel my anger in a constructive way <laughs> well, and say, okay, let's set up contemporary art and feminism. It provides, you know, a kind of academic legitimacy to this. Mm-hmm. It flies the flag, as we were saying mm. before, the red flag, as we called it, you mm-hmm. know, in our original <laughs> call out. Uh, and it provides, therefore, a kind of legitimacy, uh, you know, for, for scholars and artists in particular at, at, uh, at the art school that I was working in to say, yes. Yes, this is actually topical. It's not a throwback. It's not this historical moment that, mm-hmm. you know, that began and ended in the 1970s. Mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. so many art histories actually represented it as sort of like this it's historic... It's not an ism. Yes, it, and it's Feminism not an ism. Feminism is not an it's ism. It's not an ism. <laughs> and another think, art movement. Mm. Yeah, and I think that uh, resistance to the term feminist as well, uh, like I've kind of experienced, not through my personal experience, but in uh, the people that I've spoken to, like this resistance to the term because I think sometimes that connotation can kind of imply a, like a universal feminism and actually there are so many different issues for people like of different ability of different race you know like mm. feminism does have a history of kind of um, not acknowledging a diversity in voices so I think it is really interesting and this is what we talked to uh, Deborah Kelly about the other day was mm. that she was talking about feminism as a collective movement but not as a universal um, not as having the kind of universal struggles and I think mm. It's really interesting, this, uh, like, feminism in this time and not as something that was only existing in the 70s and hasn't moved forward. And I think you guys have addressed that a lot. And I think especially in the Femflix ex- exhibition that I spoke to you about mm. last year or the year before? There 2016 was, yeah. it would have been, yeah. Mm. Do you think that there have been a lot of changes in terms of that acknowledgement of different voices? Can I actually? Can I pop in here? Yeah. Uh, one of the um, chapters in the anthology um, by Lynette Riley uh, describes a work dealing with the fantastic work of Pearl Gibbs, who, along with um, Faith Bandler and other women back in the nineteen forties, fifties, and so forth, were were unbelievable uh, feminist workers for um, for indigenous rights, particularly and women, particularly women's. Um, um, you know, civil liberties and, um, and 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 care and so forth, 
and um, they were they were building they were doing coalition politics, if you like, way before terms such as intersectionality had you know, decades before um, these terms had actually been invented. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that um, there's a history, particularly in Australia, of um, of very interesting grassroots organisation which is very intersectional and it always has been. And to say, oh look, we're more inclusive now, certainly may make a um, may um, make sense in relation to a very white art world mm. until recently um, but in the world of p- politics and political coalition building in you know, feminism and indigenous art for, uh, indigenous um, organising for example share that very strong community and coalitional kind of base. Mm. I think uh, the other day we were talking to Estrida Neymanis from mm-hmm. the Gender Studies and Eco Humanities Department mm-hmm. and she was also talking about that the term intersectionality is relatively new mm-hmm. but but when she was talking about the writers that she constantly goes back to, even like Audre Lorde and mm. Adrian Rich, she was like, they're talking about, you know, the links between environment and species Precisely. and feminism and the mm. body. And it's like the mm. best writing that we have about feminism mm. speaks to those issues, exactly. but we just have cooler terms for it now. That <laughs> or maybe, yeah, or maybe it's made its way into more of a mainstream rhetoric as I well. And it's exactly like commercial right. and yeah. kind of marketable in mm. a way. Yeah. Actually, I think it's a really clunky term. Yeah. I must say intersectional. It always sort of sticks in my throat. So, oh, gosh. You know. mm. <laughs> but I think also we were talking earlier, Kata, around you know the, the need to be watchful around decadism as well, which is also it's been true. one of your you know long campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 which is also feminist sensibility in terms of like challenging, you know, I guess stereotypes and how and, and rigid thinking whereby, you know, a decade like the 70s is associated with a particular sensibility and then the 80s with another and so on. Yeah. And what it what that actually does it it um, you know it it predisposes you to um, to a simplistic kind of view of, of of the you know the development of ideas and, and historical movements and, and social processes and the actual mm. discussion and debate and often conflicting you know battles over ideas that's that's characterized feminism whether you call it first wave second wave third mm. wave or fourth which I think again is um, like you say is kind of simple decadism mm. really mm. given the fact that there's you know it often masks that uh, often masks um, differences of ideological position and opinion within the women's movement. Exactly. And they're at the precisely what we should be attending to rather than kind of buying into some sort of fairly reductive notion of some progressive coming of awareness of things, no, which right. the actual, when you look back at the history of someone like uh, Pearl Gibbs, just blast that whole idea of progressive linear history, which I think feminism has long, you know, um, challenged and critiqued anyway. It just blasts out of the water. And just so to go back to the point that you made earlier about Femflix, which was a a contemporary art and feminism exhibition which looked at... uh, short films uh, from the 90s, uh, feminist films from the 90s, and then that was specifically to challenge, you know, one of, the, one of the things we wanted to do is specifically challenge that stereotype that the 90s is the decade of backlash, you know, mm. that, oh, there was no feminist, you know, like that's when every, all the feminists gone to ground, you know. And, tutus <laughs> and, <bloggers>. <laughs> and it's absolute nonsense when you mm. actually look at, at the culture that was being produced in that time. Yeah, yeah I, th- I hadn't actually thought of that idea of decadism, but it does seem to it sounds like a kind of tool of the patriarchy to kind of shut people up. It's like, oh, you're, you're this. So, exactly. and it refuses any of the complexity of that exactly. kind of. It's like you're a throwback. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Go back to the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> or in going back to the seventies, um, you saw, you you often occlude a whole lot of very interesting theoretical and conceptual work that went on in the studio as well as in the academies around 
theoretical, mm. psychoanalytic, semiotic, you know, uh, kind of understandings of um, gender and sexual difference. Is that what, so the anthology, is there, um, are they all recent kind of texts or, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> both nodding. Yeah, they are. <laughs> They're all new. There's, I think there's one that's been repurposed but from a very recent essay. Otherwise, it's all new research. And as I was saying, it, it was um, it was an, an attempt also to showcase some of the emerging um, research that comes out of practice-based research. And because mm. we are based at universities, that means that a number of the essays actually come out of recent kind of like high-degree research uh, work. Um and, yeah, we really wanted to put an emphasis on that because I think uh, that form of research is really coming to a kind of, you know, an interesting point. In, in other words, there's a few years now where uh, some of the cobwebs have been blown out of it and so I think it's the, it's really sort of hitting its stride. And it's also an interesting, um, you know, an interesting exercise because obviously uh, these writers are primarily visual artists who have been engaging with text and uh, using text as a way to explore those, that, that practice-based knowledge. Mm-hmm. Is it are they all is it all writing as practice or writing about work? It's a combination, in fact, because as I said, we we have you know both um, well we have curators sort of writing, a couple of curators writing writing from quite personal perspectives, which I I think is a very nice. Um, uh, uh, contribution. We have an artist writing from the, the practice, from her own practice, but also how it was adapted to a form of activism during the not 2014 Biennale. That's Bianca Hester. Um, we have, um, you know, more art hist- historical curatorial overview, like Cat uh, uh, and uh, and Joe Holder. But we also have, yeah, a number of artists, as I mentioned, and curators who kind of also cross, you know, as we were talking before, and you know, work in different modes. So work as artists, work as curators, work as writers, work as as critics, and and I, you know, we really were pitching for a kind of very complex uh, dialogue. Uh, conversation between these different kind of perspectives and different positions. Because mm-hmm. when a, when an artist, say Jane Polkinghorne, for mm-hmm. example, writes about an aesthetics of disgust, for example, in her own work, it's it's a it's a challenge to an artist to write about practices that are really inside studio, in, uh, you know, work. The kind of the mess, the the. the the the, the the stuff of the studio, especially mm. in dealing with she's she's a performance artist and uses the body, um, how to actually articulate that embodied mm. um, experience mm. um, in you know in discursive form is is kind of those interesting transformations of that's what we were saying before about how much interesting material is being generated from studio practice mm. and it's driving a lot of under- theoretical understandings. Of um, of gender and difference mm. at the moment. Do you think this will be an ongoing project? It sounds like there's Definitely. so much material. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> As we know, it's a verb. It's an ongoing doing. We keep doing. You know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, in a whole range of different ways. I think, yeah. Mm. So the book is available um, to buy. Is it Bloomsbury? It, no, it's Routledge. No, nope, totally wrong. <laughs> and it's actually being launched today at Cross Arts oh, Projects amazing. at three o'clock. So, so people can head along to that. We'll put a link up to the event. I Wonderful. should just say that you should buy the book online. Mm-hmm. You, we do have flyers that are available mm-hmm. at the launch, which will allow you a 20% discount to get the, the paperback, and it actually ends up being, for, for an academic book 
pretty affordable, but the hardcover mm. is completely off limits. It is a is an institutional buy only. <laughs> right. <laughs> so ask your library to buy it exactly. and go right. and read it there. Exactly. <laughs> right. That was one of my favourite. Uh, yeah, takeaways. Uh, um like, take you can get my book for free on the internet. We're like, don't say that. <laughs> um, now you've uh, chosen a song for us today. Can you talk a little bit about what you've requested? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I've requested Celia Cruz singing "Yo Viveré," which is a, a Spanish version of "I Will Survive." I think that's a very fitting anthem it's, for yeah, the ongoing project of feminism. <laughs> Disco anthems always. Yeah, I always say that you know one of one of my privileged modes of feminism is uh, is karaoke singing. Interesting, <laughs> oh, amazing. That's also one of my, <laughs> and I just love doing this one, both the English and the Spanish version. Yeah. My favorite is Alanis Morissette, actually. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite, yeah, belters, like standing on the table. And Jacqueline and Catriona, thank you so much for coming in on Agenda to talk to us this morning. We'll put a link up to the launch of the book today and where people can go to purchase it. Excellent. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Bye. Start singing. <laughs> Sin yo querer, por los caminos más lejanos, por los sueños que soñé, será reflejo del amor de lo que me tocó vivir. Será la música de fondo de lo mucho que sentí. Oye mi son, mi viejo son, tiene la clave de cualquier generación en el alma de mi gente, en el cuero del tambor. En las manos del conguero, en los pies del bailador yo viviré, allí estaré. Mientras pase una comparsa, con mi rumba cantaré. Seré siempre lo que fui, con mi azúcar para ti yo viviré, yo viviré. el cielo de la libertad cuantos amigos que dejé y cuantas lágrimas lloré yo viviré para volverlos a encontrar y seguiré con mi canción bailando música caliente como bailo yo y cuando suene una guaracha y cuando suene un guaguancó en la sangre de mi pueblo en su cuerpo estaré yo oye mi son mi viejo son Tiene la clave de cualquier generación En el alma de mi gente, en el cuero del tambor En las manos del conguero, en los pies del bailador Yo viviré, allí estaré Mientras pase una comparsa con mi rumba cantaré Seré siempre lo que fui, con mi azúcar para ti Yo viviré, yo viviré
Con mi azúcar para ti, yo viviré, yo 